and welcome back to another episode of Grownish. I'm Brooklyn Beatty. And I'm Josh Williams. And today is part three of Women's History Month. Excited for this one. Me too. We have a lot to cover, and I know we have both picked some pretty good people for this week. Yeah, absolutely. And this one I did I try to be a little bit more I try to be a little different in my approach with, with picking that. How subject. so? Well, I decided to go with an era which was really huge into the women's workforce movement, mm-hmm. if you will. It kind of brought up some serious issues that were going on in the 40s, okay? And it's ironic that we're talking about it still today, almost 70-some-odd years down the road, mm-hmm. still today, even after the large sacrifice that was made by these women Ooh, during that time. Sounds deep. It is. It's, I'm excited for it. How about you? I want a little bit different, too, only in the fact of this person that I'm covering today is actually still alive and making things happen. I feel like we keep focusing on the past, which is great, too. There's a lot of women's history. But I think some history is actually happening right now. And the person that I'm going to talk about today, they have created waves through all kinds of different media, TV, radio, books, all kinds of stuff. So I'm excited to focus on her, too. I'm excited for that. And the rest of the show kind of looks like this. We have the good news segment that we're about to uh, launch into here as soon as we're done. And then we have uh, the the things that you should know, Mm -hmm. stuff that you should know. Lots of good stuff. Lots of good stuff on this episode. This is our 17th episode, by the way. I know. 17 Isn't that crazy? episodes. I can't believe it's, it's we're here I at know. 17. Let's do it. All right. Well, let's just dive right into the good news then. Okay. How about you that? first, okay? All you right. Flip the coin before this and she won the toss. <laughs> okay. I am excited about this story. Um, Baltimore chefs drove six hours to cook a dying customer her favorite dish. No way. Yeah, let me break it down for you a little bit. So it started off with a Maryland resident named Brandon Jones. His mother-in-law was in the final stages of lung cancer and had stopped treatment. So they all kind of knew that she was eventually going to pass away. But she'd always said that she really, really wanted to eat a specific dish on her deathbed. And years ago, she would say it kind of in a joking manner. But now, since unfortunately it was kind of that point... He wanted to make that happen for her. She fell in love with a dish called the tempura broccoli dish from Ikeben in Baltimore. I know. I I don't even know if I'm saying all that right, but we're going to go with it. Um, He he took a leap, her her son-in-law, and emailed one of the owners. His name was Steve Chu, just requesting the recipe. Because he was just hoping, hey, if I can get the recipe, I'll make it for her at home. So he was just trying to get the recipe. Just getting the recipe. Wow. Okay. 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 So... Instead, the owner reached back out to him and instead offered to meet him and his wife, Rena, in Vermont to make it fresh. So he's like, I'll meet you in Vermont. We'll make it fresh for your mother-in-law. I mean, and it's not exactly like Maryland and Vermont. I mean, I get it. It's pretty close in proximity, but still, that's a long way to go. That's absolutely right. And he emailed back saying, hey, you know that Vermont is actually a long ways away. He actually said that in the email back, like, you know, this isn't just a cross town right. trip. Right. To cook my mom, to cook my mom's my mother-in-law some food. It's a 6-hour drive, but the owner responded, "No problem. You tell us the date, time and location and we'll be there." Wow. All right. So, fast forward a little bit. Um that Saturday when he went to visit, he also brought his co-owner and a colleague, loaded up the pickup. They drove the 6 hours to Vermont, and the next day, they set up a they set up a makeshift kitchen in the bed of their truck at the Lady who was passing away at yeah. her house, just working outside. They had a makeshift kitchen. They worked in freezing temperatures to get the fryer to the correct temperature. So they were also battling the weather on top of this. Um, and then when it was done, they rang the doorbell and brought her her food. 
And I guess the lady who was passing away, she kept saying, I don't understand that you drove all the way here to cook for me. But the best part was she was such a loyal customer when she did visit that the owner actually recognized her when he came to bring her the food and said, we see a lot of people in our restaurant, but she has always stood out. Um, So he was more than happy to do it. He said to me, it was a huge honor to be able to help fulfill the family's wishes. This is about her, not us. There was a lot of good, positive energy in doing this. And I guess the mom, the mother-in-law, she actually cried later about the generosity. So all around, like round of applause for Steve Chu, because that's just amazing. Oh my gosh, absolutely. And you think about like the small world fact. I mean, everyone says that, right? Small, it's a small world out there. But the fact that he answered this call, Without even having, you know, it was the the fact of the matter after the fact that he, he recognized her. He even knew who her. she was. He showed up, brought her the food, and then thought, oh, wow, I've seen her face multiple times. Right. So, I mean, that just has to weigh even 10 times more just like as one of those things. When you do a good thing, you know, not because you have to or, you know, because you want to. Right. Right. And you get that feeling afterwards of doing that good thing. Because I can't imagine. think about how easy it could have been for him and his colleagues to just say, you know what? Let's just email them the recipe. We're not yeah. going to make a six-hour drive. We don't need and to do And this is all before that. they even knew who she was, and they made that drive. Yeah, yeah that just shows incredible. that they are stand-up guys. That's yeah, beautifully done. Beautifully done. All right. So, have you ever heard of something we'll call maybe greener gardens? Greener gardens. Greener gardens. If I, I have say not. that to you, well, maybe I ask you this: What does ten dollars a garden, Harrison Ford and Elon Musk? his brother have in common. Why does it sound like you're setting me up for a joke? Well, it's not a joke, (laughs) but they're all being used to combat food insecurity, malnutrition, and to build the world's single biggest garden community. Where is this happening? This is happening with Equinox. Now, the Million Gardens Movement, which is called MGM, is a charitable and educational initiative that hopes to put a garden in every household, Now, whether that's on a fire escape, in a window box, or as part of the community garden initiative, and fresh fruit and veg on every plate. So they they want every house in the country to have a garden. Yeah, absolutely. Now, now this is the brainchild of Frank and Kimball Musk, now the former owner and publisher of Modern Farmer magazine, the latter executive director of the nonprofit Big Green. Now, MGM puts little green units in homes and classrooms for just ten dollars. Oh, that's actually super affordable. Yeah, the, the little green gardens are at their core ready to use fruit and veg garden beds, and over five thousand of them so far have already been out. That's actually really cute. I like that. Did you say that was his cousin, Elon Musk's? It's his brother. His brother. That Musk family is busy. I know, right? <laughs> now, this whole now, if you're a gardener, now you can sign up and join the community. You can donate ten dollars to give a garden to a family that can't afford it or lives in a food desert. Read and contribute to the blog. We'll attach it in um, our description there, so you guys can go uh, and contribute to that. I think I might actually sign Me up too. and give ten bucks, 10 bucks for a garden. Yeah, come on. That's awesome. I'm glad you shared that today. Okay, I have another story. This one is one of my favorite good news stories that I've had for a long time. It's about a small town helping out their one sole UPS driver. So we all know in 2020, everyone ordered packages galore. It felt like it was Christmas all year long because everyone was stuck at home. Well, there is a small town called Dauphin, and it is in Pennsylvania. It sits along a river, and it only has 800 people in the entire town. Because of that, everyone knows everyone else. It says... Dolphin, Pennsylvania has no traffic lights. It's a type of town where everyone knows your name, including the UPS driver. UPS driver's name is Chad Turns. He's been delivering packages for UPS to Dolphin for over a decade. 
Um, This is one of my favorite quotes from the whole article. It's kind of long, but I'm just going to read it to you. It's from a resident named Jennifer. She says, everyone knows how special Chad is. If he thinks something might be a gift and this happened to us, he literally did not deliver it when the kids were in the yard. He just drove by and then he drove all the way back to our house after dark because he was nervous it was a gift and didn't want to ruin it for the kids. Another person said on Facebook, there was a package that needed signing and they weren't home. So Chad was nervous that it was important. So he went to their parents' house to get it signed for them. So this guy knows everyone to the point where he can drop packages off at your parents' doorstep if he knows you're not home. Well, because of that, they decided to do something special for this one UPS driver. Um, Some of the residents were saying things like he'd been working 60 to 80 hours weeks for a year. He was working like it was Christmas for 365 days. So the residents put together a thank you chat event through a community Facebook page with the intention of doing a big group gift. They originally said, let's give him $300, but she ended up setting it for $500 just to see how much money they could raise for Chad. They ended up raising over $1,000 for this UPS driver. And they set it up in a way where he thought he was going to deliver a package to this residence. He shows up to deliver the package. It ends up being the party for him. Um, And it was just a great turnout. Uh, Turn said he was overwhelmed by the idea. He didn't have any idea that anyone would do that for him ever. And it was just the fact that he was recognized for all of his hard work. And he said he cried. He always calls his wife when he leaves work. Um, And when he called his wife to tell her about this party and what happened during the surprise, she cried, too. It was a tearjerker. It was all very touching and humbling. So shout out to the town of Dolphin. Shout out to uh, Chad Turns. Honestly, like, I'm not really a small town gal myself, but to know that those people have such a community like that where they can, you know. That's just astounding. Raise that much money for their UPS driver. You got to love it. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Well, a team of experts from South Africa and Mumbai are helping relocate a population of cheetahs to India in an ambitious restoration uh, program that just got the go-ahead. Now, this would be the first time ever that a major predator has been moved intercontinentally to reestablish a population where it had once been. India is working hard to make sure that that all goes well. Cheetahs now are a critically endangered species. Perhaps maybe fewer of them exist today and uh, are alive today and are found only in Iran. A significant restoration effort has been made and the cheetah has been moved from Iran and now will be found in India. The potential release sites need to be upgraded, they said, and increase in prey base and greater protection. So obviously there's still a lot more of uh, efforts that need to be put into place by the um, Indian government here to make sure that they have the spots for it. But the fact of the matter is, is they got the green light from both the Iran government and the um, Indian government to go ahead and put these forward. That's awesome. I'm honestly still a little bit shocked that cheetahs are so underpopulated. I didn't know that. So to know that they're making efforts on something I wasn't even aware of is awesome. In the 1950s, you know, Indian monarchs used to hunt the animal all the time. They would hunt cheetahs. So it was kind of like a a delicacy Mm -hmm. for them. And um, they basically almost hunt this, uh, this animal. basically extinction. Yeah. So, um, yeah, 20 years later, it's getting a, a chance now to have a new life Good. Um, in a safe spot. We don't want all of our kids growing up not knowing that cheetahs exist. No, That'll make me no, sad. Absolutely not. They're, they're a beautiful animal. They are. All right, so that's our good news for today. Next, we're going to have Stuff You Should Know. I have a couple of good stories there as well. I'm sure you do too, Josh. So stay with us, and we will do that next.
Welcome back. It's time for Stuff You Should Know. I took the lead on the good news. So, Josh, you want to go first on this? Yeah, absolutely. I'll take us down the stuff that we should know. And here is my little tidbit for the day. Now, water will not put out a grease fire. That's right. Water only makes a grease fire much, much worse. Instead, starve the fire of oxygen by completely covering it and removing it from heat. And if possible, if all possible, try and get all things away. Now, baking soda will also help put out grease fire as well. As well, a Class B a fire extinguisher, if you don't have one of those laying around. I know everyone's got baking soda. Yeah, I don't know if I have a fire extinguisher laying around now since I'm thinking about yeah, it. Yeah, but you probably have baking soda. I probably do. Okay, my first story of the day is, I have a question before I tell you it. Be honest, do you think you could go a full 24 hours without any screens? Yeah. No TV? 100%. No phone, Put no me games? on a lake somewhere. Well, if you think you could do it, they're actually giving people two or twenty four hundred dollars to do this. So I'm just letting you know. Okay. There's a company, they're paying people a lot of money to stay away from screens for a day. It's called reviews.org. They usually test things like home services and products. They're holding what they're calling a twenty-four hour digital detox challenge. But here's my favorite part about the whole thing. So you have to like apply and get accepted to be one of these people that do this. Obviously, they're not just taking anyone. Um, but they're they're sending people safes to put all of their digital stuff in for the day. But then they're also giving them a $200 Amazon gift card so that they can go on and buy a, quote, survival kit to make it through the day. So you can buy books, you can buy painting supplies, a puzzle, whatever you think that you need to get you through a full day without any screens. They're going to let you buy it if it's within that $200 um, limit. Um, but yeah, so reviews.org, I know by the time people are listening to this, I don't know if they can even sign up anymore, but they're going to be posting all of the stuff of the people they chose, those people's journeys, what they learned during that day on that website. So if it sounds interesting to you, you should totally check it out. And I'm sure they'll have another one down the road, but that is pretty cool. I don't know. I mean, I think I could go a day without screens as well, but I think about all the times that I just check my phone subconsciously, I'm not even realizing that I'm looking at a screen. And then of course, I couldn't go to work because our our work is surrounded by screens. So there would be a lot of life changes for me just to get through a day. But I think it sounds I I feel like if I couldn't make it 24 hours, I would be disappointed in myself. I feel like this could possibly be very easily done. I I would uh, I'd sign up. I would. I'd do it. All right. What you got for me? Well, I don't want to sound like everybody's uh, mom out there, but finishing your antibiotics is crucial. If you stop taking your antibiotics before you're supposed to, any bacteria that didn't get killed can develop an immunity to that antibiotic and become a super strain that is much more difficult to kill in the future. So believe me when we tell you this, keep taking your pills, even if you feel better. That's interesting as well. I didn't know that. Boom, stuff you should know. Well, that's stuff I should know. I know now. Not that I I ever stopped taking my pills, but I didn't know that it could actually backfire if you do. Wild stuff. All right, so my last story for stuff you should know today is about Krispy Kreme, because we all love donuts. They are giving people who got vaccinated for COVID-19 a free donut for the rest of the year if you want one. So it's pretty simple. You literally go and you take your paperwork that says you got your vaccine. They give you a free glazed donut and you can do this every single day for the rest of the year. There's no limit of, oh, you went before and got your free donut. You can't come again. No, you can get one every single day and Don't have to worry about a time limit. You know, people getting vaccinated all throughout the year. There's not really like a set time of, oh, if you do this by May 31st, it's through 2021. So if you like, 
you like donuts, you got COVID shot, go get a free donut from Krispy Kreme. Absolutely. I'm on to my next topic here. Air isn't mostly oxygen. I had no idea about this one. It's actually 78% nitrogen. And an overabundance of oxygen can actually make you feel kind of high. That's why if you kind of caught on, oxygen bars became a big thing for a little bit in the late 90s and early 2000s. I know I remember going to the mall and seeing an oxygen bar in there and going in there and putting in the, the tubes like you would have if you were in the hospital. They were all neon colored and different flavors, and you were just sitting there breathing in oxygen. And I didn't feel anything. I didn't so you feel did different. it? Yeah, I didn't feel any different. I remember seeing those, but never trying it. But I was always so confused what the purpose was. And it's wild. So it makes you feel high. Well, yeah. Well, it's it's um, it's the nitrogen. That's interesting. That's in and they had different flavored yeah, air. I, yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, it was all kinds of different stuff in interesting. there. Interesting. Yeah, I haven't seen those in a long time, though. They must have not been doing very well. No, probably not. I mean, <laughs> it was what's the kick there, right? You're sucking in air. <laughs> um, I don't know. Anyone will fall for any kind of gimmick. I feel like at some point. Well, here's another trick. Now, there's a trick to foil and plastic wrap. If you didn't know that. There is perforated spots on either side of the box of aluminum foil or plastic wrap. You can punch those tabs in, and they hold the foil or wrap in place. You never have to deal with accidentally flinging a roll across the kitchen ever again. Well, there you go. The more you know. This is what this segment is for. Telling you. We got you. And I got one more for you, just in case you really wanted to. And uh, this one might help, especially if you live in an uh, apartment or you know, a smaller house, you can probably mute your microwave. That's right. Most modern microwaves come with a mute option. Sometimes it's as easy as finding the mute, the button that says mute, written all over in small letters, and holding it down for a while. Otherwise, you might have to check your owner's manual and uh, find out how you can uh, exponentially improve your life. Are you one of those people that has to race the time so it goes, you you open the door before the last second Ends. Yeah, I find the uh, I find uh, microwave timers just just annoying. Why is it so infuriating? I'll never understand. I'm gonna have to check out and see if mine mutes because I didn't know that was possible. Thank you for letting me know. Absolutely, that's uh, that's the more you know right there, right? All right, is that all we got today? That's all we got. Okay, so stay with us because coming up is part three of Women's History Month, and I feel like we're both super excited about our people this week. I'm excited. And welcome back. It's that time where we talk about Women's History Month. And Josh, I have been so excited about my person because I feel like this person is still creating women's history. She's never really stopped. But it's Oprah Winfrey. Oh, Oprah. I'm a big Oprah fan. Chicago girl. Chicago girl, yes. And I will say, I mean, I knew a couple things about her, but I started looking into her specifically for this podcast episode. And there's so much more to her than I even really wrapped my head around. So much so that, honestly, if it's too much... Let me know. (laughs) I'm going to take you through the timeline and kind of just let you know how what she did in her lifetime, because it's truly incredible. 
So to take you back, it all began in 1954. That's when she was born in Mississippi. Now, Oprah did actually have a really rough start to life. And I did not have any idea about this, but apparently she was sexually abused by a number of male relatives and friends of her mother growing up. So that being said, by the time she was in her early adulthood, she had moved in with her father, kind of changed up her life a little bit. And then by 1971, she attended Tennessee State University and began working in radio and TV broadcasting in Nashville. So that's kind of where her start began. Well, then she moved to Maryland, where she hosted the TV chat show People Are Talking. She stayed in that for eight years before she was then recruited to Chicago. And the reason she was recruited to Chicago was because her time slot back in Maryland was actually the exact same time slot as Phil Donahue. Mm. But within several months, Winfrey had already won over 100,000 more viewers than Donahue and had taken her show from last place in ratings to first place. So they were like, wow, this this lady has a lot to offer. So Chicago scooped her up. And in 1986, she launched the Oprah Winfrey show. Now, this is what was so inspiring to me to take a little side step here. She was 32 before she actually really made it big. So all the people out there who are listening, you're you're young, you're feeling like you don't really know where your next step is. Be patient because think about where Oprah is now. She has so much stuff, but things didn't really, really take off for her until she was in her 30s. So right. things are possible, right? Yeah. All right. So she that's when she started the Oprah Winfrey show as a nationally syndicated program that ran for 25 years. Um She gained ownership of the show shortly after she started it and basically created her own production company called Harpo Productions. And the reason it's called Harpo is because it's Oprah spelled backwards. So love Oprah. Not very creative in the naming rights, apparently, because we just did Oprah backwards. But you do what you got to do. She became super popular as well in 1994 because she pledged on air to keep her show free of tabloid topics, which a lot of daytime talk shows, they focus on that. So that's kind of what set her out from the rest because she was talking about things on a much deeper scale than the average midday talk show person was. In 1997, so this is 11 years after her show started, she introduced the thing called Oprah's Favorite Things. Have you heard about that? No, I haven't. So... That's kind of something she's always done on her show. Every year, she compiles a list of things that she likes, and then usually she gives them out to people who attend her show in person. She's oh, like, oh, okay. here's here's my favorite stuff. And usually it's pretty high-end, nice things that are super expensive. Well, in 2017, this is 20 years after the Oprah's Favorite Things launched, it was so popular that at that point that when the Amazon Alexa came out, Oprah actually became the first celebrity voice behind Alexa, and the list was featured on Amazon. So you could just be like, hey, Alexa, tell me Oprah's favorite things. And Oprah would come on Alexa and tell you what her things were. That's so neat. I know. So that was obviously successful. So after all that happened in 1997, we fast forward a little bit. By 1999 and early 2000, she was debuting the Oxygen Media. She was debuting her monthly magazine called O. She signed a new contract to continue her show in 2004. A lot of things were happening for her. But it was 2011 where everything really started to change. And this is where I'm kind of like, wow, she, this girl was not going to give up. So her, contact, her contract ended for the Oprah Winfrey show in 2011. And instead of saying, hey, I'm going to retire. I've been successful. I've done a lot. She decided to start her own network, the Oprah Winfrey Network, or OWN, which was a joint venture with Discovery Communications. So I remember that happening. I don't know if you do, but I remember being a kid. 2011, we were what, like 17, 16, something like that. High school. Yeah. And I remember thinking, wow, she's going to have her own network now like that. That's crazy. But 
It just keeps getting crazier. <laughs> so fast forward to 2015, this woman bought a 10% stake in Weight Watchers. And I remember her being really vocal on the Oprah Winfrey show and on OWN about her struggles with weight loss. So she decided to invest in Weight Watchers, which at the time was not doing well. The company was really starting to go downhill. But because she became an advisor for the company and got herself a seat on the board, there was a huge surge in membership with Weight Watchers and the stock prices just went through the roof. A couple more things I'll add before I get into her awards that she got. 2018, she launched um, her Oprah's Book Club And one of the most famous interviews that she had for the book club, she got to talk to former First Lady Michelle Obama for the release of her memoir, Becoming, which I have yet to read, but I have been wanting to read that book. And then in 2018, she signed a multi-year deal with Apple to create products specifically for Apple, including bringing her book club onto the Apple TV Plus streaming service. So, I mean, honestly... I said this earlier today when I was going through this stuff, but Oprah, no one is busier than Oprah out there. Maybe Oprah's assistant is the busiest person out there. I don't know. But looking into some of the things that she has achieved. So, I mean, I'm I'm telling you kind of her life, her timeline, because I want to give a little bit of a background into all of the honors that she's been given over the years. By Forbes magazine, she was named the richest African-American of the 20th century and also the world's only black billionaire for three years running. Life magazine hailed her as the most influential woman of her generation. She also was a part of the bill that created a nationwide database of convicted child child abusers. She was actually the one who proposed that bill to Congress. I had no idea. Wow. So literally, thanks to Oprah, we have a list of child abusers. We know where they're living, you know, where they're where they're located, things like that. Um, She was also named the greatest black philanthropist in American history by Business Week. I mean, it just goes on and on. She's received the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Obama. And then my last thing I wanted to mention, I know it's been a lot. I told you it was going to be a lot of information, but it just keeps going was a quote that she had. It was around the Me Too movement. It was in 2018. She was actually the first African-American woman to be honored during the Golden Globes with this Lifetime Achievement Award. And this was the quote that really stuck with me. It says, So I want all the girls watching here and now to know that a new day is on the horizon. And when that new day finally dawns, it will be because of a lot of magnificent women, many of whom are right here in this room tonight, and some pretty phenomenal men, fighting hard to make sure that they become the leaders who take us to the time when no one ever has to say, me too, again. That is awesome. So Oprah Winfrey, I mean, women's history, I know history is usually from the past, but since 1954 all the way to 2021, this woman has been making moves. Yeah, Major moves. Outstanding. A trendsetter. Yeah. Yes. I have so much respect for her. I couldn't go without mentioning her. There was so much of that. I had no idea. Me no neither. Idea. That's so awesome. And I, I, you know what? She's got a street renamed after her in Chicago. It's always pretty cool. You know, anybody that's in broadcasting, you know, you go back and you get to see where she was from and kind of or not see where she was from. But, but see where, where she began. Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. So I'm going to take you back to a time in the uh, 1940s, all right? World War II is going on, American women entering the workforce in unprecedented numbers during the war as widespread male enlistment left gapping holes all over the industrial force. Now, between 1940 and 1945, the, male perce- the female percentage of U.S. workforce increased from 27% to nearly 37%. And by 1945, nearly one out of every four married women 
where it's outside the home, hmm. which was unprecedented. Because if you think about it before, that number was 1%. 1%. Now, more than 310,000 women worked in the U.S. aircraft industry in 1943. A lot of questions is like, where did Rosie the Riveter come from? Who is Rosie the Riveter? Well, she was the star of a campaign aimed at recruiting female workers for the defense industries during World War II. And uh, she really did become perhaps one of the most iconic images of working women in that time. Now, making up 65% of the industry's total workforce in 1943 were the women, compared to 1% in the pre-war years. Now, the munitions industry heavily recruited women workers, as illustrated uh, by the U.S. government's Rosie the Riveter propaganda campaign. Kind of one of the first time you ever hear propaganda besides... uh, the Uncle Sam Wants You posters, I was right? thinking Uncle Sam right when you said that. Unbelievable. Did you know this now? Through women, though women entered the workforce during World War II, were crucial to the war effort. Their pay continued to lag far behind their male counterparts. Female workers rarely earned more than 50% of what the male w- wages were at the time. Unbelievable, right? So on May 29, 1943, the Saturday Evening Post published a cover image of a, by the national artist Norman Rockwell, portraying Rosie with the flag in the background and a copy of Adolf Hitler's racist track, Mean Kind, under her feet. Now, Rockwell's image may be commonly known as the version of Rosie the Riveter. Her prototype was actually created in 1942 by a Pittsburgh artist named J. Howard Miller and was the feature on a poster for the Westinghouse Electric Corporation under the headline, We Can Do It. Early 1943, popular song came out called Rosie the Riveter, written, written by Red Evans and uh, John Jacob Loeb, uh, and the name went down in history. So this really did become a full-on effort at that point in time, but that is just the character that portrayed this movement. There is a whole movement on the other side of the, that through the fact-finding mission of finding out who Rosie the Riveter was and finding out that there, it really wasn't one person. It was 500,000 women um, over 500,000 women at one time making an effort uh, at un- unprecedented levels. Um, there were things that were formed. Uh, Women's Auxiliary Army Corps, which was known as the WAC, um, some 350,000 women joined this armed services. They served at home and abroad, urging a first lady, Le- uh, Eleanor Roosevelt, and the women's group, and it even impressed, uh, they were impressed by the British use of women in their service. So they looked across the world and said, okay, how can we use our women at home? They were looking upon other places and saw the Crown, England, doing their thing. Now, even General George C. Marshall supported the idea of introducing women into a service branch into the Army. Now, May 1942 comes, Congress institutes the Women's Auxiliary Army Corps, which is later upgraded to the Women's Army Corps, which had full military status. Its members were known as the WACs. They worked in more than 200 non-combat jobs statesides and in every theater of war. By 1945, there were more than 100,000 WACs and 6,000 female officers. In the Navy, members of women accepted for volunteer emergency services, which was known as WAVES, held the same status as naval reservists and provided support stateside. The Coast Guard and Marines Corps, well, they soon followed suit, and uh, but although they had kind of smaller numbers in that regard. So that was the WACs. Did you know any of that? I've never heard of this before. It gets better. There's also something called WASP. WASP. It's the Women's Air Force Service Pilots. 
One of the lesser known roles women ever played in the war effort was provided by these women Air Force service pilots or the, the WASP. These women, each of who had already obtained their pilot's license prior to the service, became the first women to fly an American military aircraft. They ferried planes from factories to bases, transporting cargoes, participating in simulation, strafing, uh, target missions, accumulating more than 600 million miles in flight distances and freeing thousands of male U.S. uh, pilots for active duty in World War II. More than 1,000 WASPs served. 38 of them lost their lives during the war. Hmm. Now, considered civil service employees... And without, they were considered civil service employees and without official military status. These fallen wasps were granted no military honors or benefits. And it wasn't until 1977 that the wasp received full military status. Now, the impact, obviously, is far-reaching. The call for women to join the workforce during World War II was meant to only be a temporary standstill, if you will. The women were expected to leave their jobs after the war ended, and the men came home. The women who did stay in the workforce continued to be paid less than their male peers and were usually demoted. But after the selfless efforts during World War II, men could no longer claim superiority over women. Women had enjoyed and even thrived on the taste of financial and personal freedom. Many wanted more. The impact of World War II on women changed the workplace forever, and women's roles continued to expand in the post-war era. That's amazing. Fast floor to 70-some-odd years later, and we're still fighting that battle, unfortunately. I was going to say, I didn't realize, and maybe maybe I'm alone in this, but I didn't realize that that's where the pay, the pay gap began. Yeah. Because we actually had a story on MNC a couple days ago that women are still making 82 cents to every dollar that men are making that on is average. unbelievable. It is. And it, coming from a woman's perspective, it makes me sick to even say it out loud because that should not be allowed. But clearly we're moving in the right direction. I'm disappointed that it's 2021 and we're still not equal. It almost seems like it's not fast enough, though. It's not fast enough. I mean... I mean, come on. I feel like a lot of topics are not always going as quickly as they should be. I don't want to get too deep here, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Tell me this, though, and this is just from a guy's perspective here. It seems like this year, more than ever, Women's History Month has been, topics have been brought up that haven't been brought up in past Women's History Months. It's almost like this month was used to not only celebrate history, but to also advance its future. I will say I've noticed a lot more of it this month than I have in years past. Yeah. I have learned some things, especially just conversations that we've had. We've talked about quite a few ladies during this past month, a lot of which was new information to me and I'm sure to our listeners as well. Um, But that being said, even on other radio programs, social media, TV, I have noticed a lot more coverage of Women's History Month in general, which makes me happy because we do need to bring awareness to these issues. It's unbelievable. And hopefully you know what you guys learned something over the course of our three-part series yeah. with uh, Women's History Month. It's been a blast to do that. As a listener, I do want to know if there is a woman out there who inspires you, whether it's family, friends, or even someone in history like we've been covering, let us know. I would love to hear about it. You can email us at grownishpodcast at gmail.com or just read, reach out to us on social media at Grownish Podcast. We're on all the platforms. And I got a part four for you if she hears it. But, Mom, you definitely do inspire me. Thank you for everything that you've ever done for me. Love you to death. 
Hey, being a single mom growing up isn't easy. Thank you for everything you did. Hey, my mom too. Love her. She's amazing. I wouldn't be who I am without her. I feel like we all owe our moms a thank you. Big round of applause for the moms out there. And round of applause for Women's History Month. If anything, this episode has taught me that for Oprah's standpoint, it's never too late to follow your dreams. 32, just starting out, you know, really making it big. And from your perspective, a little movement like that can change everything. Everything. So. Beautiful. Inspirational. I think this is a good way to wrap up the show. Let's wrap it up, huh? Okay. How can people reach you, Josh? Well, they can find me on Facebook at Josh Willie Williams. Mm-hmm. Or you can find me on Twitter at Josh R.W. Williams. I'm on Twitter, TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook. Just search at Radio Brooklyn. And then, of course, Gronish Podcast. I mentioned our email before. It's gronishpodcast at gmail.com. Or just search for Gronish Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok. You stay classy, San Diego. And thanks for listening, making a great rest of your day, and we'll talk to you next week. Welcome to Grownish, another episode where we are talking about Women's History Month. It's part three. We've got a lot to cover this morning. I realized I never even said her names. Yeah, dude. Like, whoa. Like, all right. Sorry. That was hot the freaking trot right <laughs> off the bat. Holy shnikes, dude. I mean, that's great radio show effort there, but... No, that's why I stopped myself. Holy shnikes. Babe, I've been doing a lot today. I just... Jiminy Crickets, that was pretty good. This weekend. Because hey, for once, I want to hey. have a weekend where we don't come into the studio. We literally have nothing but time. Okay. Right? You're right. And we're just going to sit here and turn our wheels until we either get kicked out of here until we craft something. We're going to craft something. We're going to craft We're going to craft the shit out of this. We're craft the shit out of it. Podcasts by Federated Media. Podcasts by Federated Media.